0: And you're very welcome to my podcast, Take a Chair Talking Theatre and Creativity, where I get the opportunity to chat to fascinating artists from all genres about their inspiration and practices. You'll hear a lot about collaboration and collective creativity that's my term for my process of working and I explore how these artists work with others and what they mean by the term collaboration. In podcast two, my guest is Alan Fenn, painter and writer. Another of the women whom I have worked closely with for the past 20 years and who lives in Skull in West Cork. Our conversation, recorded at the end of September 2020, links into blog two of the series entitled Vision, Inspiration and Enchantment. We touch on why one works creatively, where the inspiration comes from for her painting and writing, the impact of her family background, thoughts on collaboration, physicality. And Alan's chosen chair. Just a note, a warning about a couple of expletives in case you're feeling sensitive. My name is Alan Ben and I'm an artist, um, a
1: painter, and I also write poetry and sometimes short stories. But my formal training is as a painter. I went to college and I actually have a master's degree in fine arts. And it's a great pleasure to be on your podcast. Thank you very much for inviting
0: me. (laughs) Lovely to have you here. (laughs) Alan, in terms of your two sides as an artist, you're doing a lot of work as a writer and you've done a lot of work, obviously, as a painter. Is that two sides of your brain working or something? No, I think I
1: just get bored with one or one's not going well and then I do the other. Like last year, for instance, I was writing, but this year I'm painting and haven't really been doing any writing, maybe like a kind of a daily pages thing or something, but nothing formal. Uh, But last year I was just writing and hardly painted at all. Uh, I'm not saying it divides up by years usually, but that's just the way it's been lately.
0: Where does your inspiration come from? Is it different for both?
1: Yeah, probably different because one is so visual, the painting is so visual, but I guess like writing could be, is visual too, but you're using a completely different method. So like writing tends to be more, I was gonna say in the head, but that doesn't even make sense. I think that writing is more grounded in thought. Maybe that would be a way to say it. And painting is more grounded in image. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. But one, but but writing also generates images. It's very hard to yeah. explain. Yes. Yeah but what's the inspiration the the inspiration is to have something to do isn't it like what do you get up and do every day yeah and I'm happier when I'm writing or painting than when yeah. I'm doing other things like I was interested because I listened to Julia's podcast and Julia said something along the lines of I find it quite easy to be like not in the studio, to be distracted, to say, oh, it's a nice day, I'll go out in the garden. So I gave myself this task to do, which was to make her piece every day, because that made her like have to get into the studio. And I can kind of identify with that because if I get in the habit of not working, it's very easy to stay in the habit of not working and go like Julia, oh, I must do this or I must do that. But once I get in the habit of working, then I don't want to do the this and that. I have to make myself do them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm happier when I'm working, even though sometimes I make excuses to myself not to do it. But like, I'm, I've learned, like, hello, I'm 60 <laughs> years old. I ought to have learned it by now that I'm happier when I'm working. Mm-hmm. And so I just can make myself do that.
0: If you're not working, then is the the corollary is are you out of sorts or for me certainly I would be out of sorts. It's about getting outside and meeting people and being in the context of people, and I certainly there's there's a kind of an. Always like an itch. How would you describe it? If you're not, if you, if you. Oh right!
1: See, for me, it's nothing to do with meeting people, <laughs> getting out with people. Like completely the opposite. I'm. <laughs> that was another interesting thing about Julia's podcast. She said she was more of a was it a football player than a yeah. golf player, like in terms of collaboration. And I'm, I'm like golf, golf all <laughs> the way. I'm not very good with collaborating or with people. Like I have to make myself do that. Yeah, I'm kind of happier to be like home uh working but if I'm not working then I just go I'm I'm, all, I'm usually quite happy like going for walks or thinking or looking things up on the internet but then I just go oh my god you just wasted a whole day you didn't actually accomplish anything because if you make something then you have something yeah like I think it was Matisse said somebody asked him why do you paint and he said well so I'll have something to look at
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love that yeah and and in the so when your inspiration comes for your art Or for your writing? Obviously, I know that you paint, you use colour a lot, and then a lot of still life, a lot of objects. Is that what gives you the inspiration? Is it just seeing it, or or where do you come up with the ideas?
1: Yeah, colour is massive. So, like, that's why I'm often painting flowers, because they're always coloured. Isn't nature amazing? Like, that all that came out of nothing? It's just too mind-boggling to think about. But anyway... Uh, yes, color pattern, light, so anything that has those things in it, but I suppose you could say landscape has all those things in it, but I'm more interested in things just thought of this that are close to me that are close mm. up as in close near to me. um I've painted landscapes, but they don't really interest me to paint them like I like looking at them, yeah, yeah I love to be in landscapes, but Um, I'm interested in things that are really close and kind of complicated because they're close maybe. And like putting all the different shapes of color and light and pattern together to make it look like something that's recognizable. I'm actually not really, I, I like to look at abstract art and I appreciate it, but I'm not that interested in making it, even though I've, like, made some over the years, yeah. Uh, but never in any very consistent sense, except that when I was at graduate school, I did, like, a whole year. Of, like, I went in making still lives, and I came out making big abstract paintings, but then as soon as I got out, I went right back to still lives, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which I think kind of works against, like, in painting, there's a kind of hierarchy of like the importance of things, and still life is actually quite low, close to the bottom. But if, so if I was um, more hmm, like savvy, I would have picked something else, like portraiture, maybe. But yeah, it's the way it goes. It's the way it goes.
0: Is that something that you found from the very beginning that you would? It was always still life for you.
1: Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Like thinking back to hmm. Well you see when you go to college, that's what they do for you too. They set up still life so mm-hmm. they have models and stuff as well. But ever since I was allowed to choose what I wanted to do, which was mm-hmm. like maybe in my third year of undergraduate college, um, I always picked still life. Even though I was sometimes pushed by professors to do this or that experiment yeah. with this or that and Would have like maybe some abstract stuff going on the side. I was always most interested
0: in painting the still lives. Definitely. And in terms of the artists that you would have inspired you were, or is it nature that has inspired you always, or would certain artists have?
1: Let's see, what artists do I like? So I really like Matisse's work. Is there often interiors rather? Sometimes there's still lives, but, um, and often figures, obviously he does, but I just really like his use of pattern and colour that's what draws me to him and then there are probably various still life painters but let's see there's an American painter called Janet Fish for example who does really big brightly coloured still lives what other painters but then I really like painters who get like kind of into the kind of screaming horror of life <laughs> like Francis Bacon. Like I love Francis Bacon. I just think he's the absolute I was gonna say SH1T, but it's a podcast, so I'll just go, please me! <laughs> um or a painter like Anselm Kiefer who does like, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, like really huge, like museum scale, like really massive kind of painting that he's incorporated, tar and straw and like loads of really kind of gritty stuff into them and they're all about kind of the guilt of Germany and the kind of mythological history of Germany.
0: And then in terms of the writing where does your inspiration for that come then? Is that utterly different? Does that come from your notes if it's coming from thoughts?
1: Sometimes I just get like a line will just come to me and I just go oh and then start writing Or sometimes I might just, like, do an exercise where you start with a prompt and just write, and then without thinking about it too much and come back to it and see what you've got. Or sometimes I might just, like, take a form that would be quite constrictive that, like, you would have to have lines of alternating seven and eight syllables, for example, or something like that. So different things. And I pro- and I came to writing much, much later than to painting. Like I've been painting for, since I was 25, so that would be 35 mm-hmm. years, wouldn't it? Whereas mm-hmm. writing, probably only since about 2005, so that's only 15 years, isn't it?
0: Yeah. yeah. And what made you start on the writing? What made you d- do it more seriously? Oh, well, I
1: thought, you know, the Bantry Writers Week Festival. So yeah. I thought the West Cork Literary Festival, I thought, oh, I might go take a class there oh, look, there's a children's writing class. Oh, that could be fun. I could write a book for children and illustrate it. So I went to the children's book writing class and discovered that I had, like, absolutely zero interest <laughs> in writing a book for children. It's so prescriptive. Like, you, have, you can't have more than 800 words and you got got this and you got got that. And I was like, oh, my God, you have to be kidding me. <laughs> but the next year there was a poetry writing workshop, and I thought, oh, why don't try that and like and then I remembered that actually when I was in undergraduate college like in America you have to take certain classes like outside of your major degree and I took a poetry writing class and I suddenly remembered like oh yeah I really liked that poetry writing class Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um and did a poetry writing class with Matthew Sweeney yes yeah yeah um he died unfortunately a year maybe two years ago uh, but but he was amazing because he was so absolutely brutal, like he yeah. made some of the participants weep because he was so cruel. But to me he was like so honest and like I kind of felt like, oh my god, I really get this. I get yeah. what he's saying. And it was I just had a brilliant time. Yeah. Um and then why did I start writing short stories? Oh, because um Claire Keegan you familiar with her work? She's yeah, a short story writer. She was the writer in residence at um, University College Cork, and she's a short story writer. So even though I went in as kind of writing poetry, I started writing stories. Okay. Um, in her, it wasn't a formal class. I mean, well, I suppose it was in a sense, but it wasn't a class that you paid for. You just showed up on a Thursday or whatever the day of the week it was and we just talked about.
0: that. Dad, did you? Your dad did a bit of writing, did he? Oh, my dad was like did a lot of writing. Right, right. It was like, oh, yeah. was he a writer? Right. Was, that his, was that his job? Or was Yeah, it? that was his. Oh, that was his impression. When, when okay. The, that was,
1: the background noise in the house was like the clack, clack of a okay. writer. Yeah. Like, we weren't allowed to play loud music or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother always said we got sent to boarding school so that
0: the house would be quiet. And your uncle, obviously, on your mom's side, was a poet. Yeah, kind a poet, of a well-known well, poet. A story but
1: he died when he was only twenty-nine, so he didn't really get much of a run of it, which yeah. was a shame because he was like massively talented. Yeah, so that was very yeah. sad. Yeah, I never knew him. He was dead long before I was born.
0: But yeah, and then no. your mom was a painter as well, wasn't she? So you've had it in your family? Yes, and she also
1: wrote children's stories. So, I mean, my household was, like, that was the norm to be either painting or writing and hardly ever cleaning the house. As (laughs) my mother said to somebody once, I'd much rather paint a picture than dust one. (laughs) So I'm right behind that. Yeah, yeah. It's a great legacy to have, really, because think about some women whose mothers spent all their lives cleaning the house and that then becomes your norm Yeah. like yeah. I had a friend in the United States, she was a painter and she didn't end up cleaning her house but her mother like she just spent all day cleaning the house and every day she would clean a different room from top to bottom and when she got to the end of the house she would just start again and do that again Yeah. so like apart from that that was a terrible waste
0: of her life but maybe
1: if she was happy maybe that was just I don't know if she was yeah. happy doing that or not but
0: yeah, and I suppose certainly looking back for you and I, that kind of straddle that whole time when a lot of women still remained at home, and yet there were some, like my mum worked and my grandmother worked. So there were some women who did continue to work, and that again, as you say, that was our norm. Whereas now, when you have such choice of what to do it seems like a very different lifestyle yeah
1: although i think women are still constrained by um biology but well you could choose not to have children yes
0: and obviously that whole pressure that there is still on women to do all the housework and work as well they uh, certainly the and in high heels and in high heels
1: yeah you might as well hobble yourself seriously when i went to kian's graduation which would have been in 2016 all the girls were wearing such high heels that one of them like fell over as she was getting up on the stage, and I just thought, oh my god. And when you look at magazines and, and how women are portrayed in them, sometimes yeah. I feel like we haven't made that much progress, yeah. At
0: yeah. All. The uh, pressure to conform is still there, and the pressure to be a particular way, you still have to get through that, also don't you? The
1: pressure you? to have your skirt barely covering your
0: backside Backside is a priority but
1: like yeah we were like that too like we in my school we had a uniform skirt and it was it was supposed to be a regulation length but we used to just roll them up at the waist (laughs) till they barely covered our neck we thought that was great
0: I recall my skirt being pulled down when I was five I'd say uh sitting on the bench having my lunch and the old nun passed and I I, I, whether she forced me to put it down or whether I was pulling it down because she was going to be passing by but it had to be covering your knees you were five five I'd say yeah and the pressure I can feel the tension of it you know I can feel the pressure of it still so moving from um the, the kind of the solitary work of the writer or the artist on their own. It seems to me that you are absolutely happy to be working on your own.
1: Yeah. So, I used to think that was something I had to apologize for, not yeah. liking to be alone. But I I don't have to apologize for that actually <laughs> more.
0: <laughs> Come into collaboration so and being part of either play acting theatre for as long as we have um because you and I have been working together for 20 years on on the project since I came to Skull, and A bit, bit more, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Those projects have involved obviously the street theatre stuff, the the play acting, the theatre stuff, and other projects in the community, the arts festival. I suppose particularly for me, the collaboration and the collective creativity that I kind of talk about, and particularly when we were doing Amadeus last year with play acting and Skull Drama Group. What attracts tra- you tra- tra- to being around people? So if you uh, when you like being on your own. I hate them
1: so much. <laughs> I just like it's weird, isn't it? Mm. Actually, because there's this other part of me that like loves to jump up on a stage. Yeah. But that's because I'm not me, isn't it? Like, yeah, you're playing a part. Then there's no. Except obviously, it is like every part you play has part of you in it. Um, you know what it is? I, I quite like to get together with people for a purpose like, a job, that kind of purpose, not yeah. just, like, I like to get, oh, occasionally get together with people and just have a chat, but I I do really like to get together with people and have, like, yeah, a purpose, so, like, organising the arts festival or doing drama or doing the street theatre, that's us all coming together to, like, do something pretty concrete, really, yeah, that's going yeah. to have an outcome and that's going to have some kind of meaning.
0: Yeah. And working in a drama theatre context and working as a participant in that, what's that like for you in terms of that sharing and that kind of creative process?
1: What's it like? What do you mean, what's it like?
0: What's your experience of it? It's exciting and it's fun and sometimes
1: it's kind of scary but in a good kind of way.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's just really interesting to bring a bunch of people together. And for you, that's you, Karen, to be there as the, hmm, we'll call you the director because that's what you are, but that you let people kind of just make their own way and you guide them a little bit, but you kind of, Not like you're teaching them exactly, but facilitating them to get in touch with their stuff. Uh so all those exercises are like getting people to that space where you can be really like a hundred percent focused but also a hundred percent free at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So like to be completely open to the process but also to be like super yeah drawn in that like intensity of, of focus mm-hmm. but also this kind of gesture like I'm completely open to what's going to happen uh, and about exercises the one I love is that mirroring exercise mm-hmm. like if you do that with somebody who's really into it like you're really into it and you're both a hundred percent there like one night I did it with Faye and it was like oh my god we were we were the same person we were one person and it was incredible it was just incredible I'm pretty sure she felt that way about it too, but I certainly did. Mm. so powerful.
0: Yeah, just to explain, if if people listening to this don't know what it is, it's so you're you're standing. One person is opposite the other, isn't that right? Uh, and you're
1: a distance apart. I mean, at first we started out quite close together and one person just starts the gesture whatever that is it could be a hand gesture it could be it could be a very very small in fact it's best if it's a very small gesture nothing too fast and the other person just mirrors that gesture but then at some point the other person could take over leading the gesture mm-hmm. and After you do it for a little while, oh, and you're keeping eye contact the whole time. That's the really intense part because your eyes almost start to burn with the intensity of it. And after a while, at first you're kind of conscious of, wait a minute, okay, they're leading, no, I'm leading. But after you get into it a little bit, you just get into this flow with it where no one's leading and no one's following because you're the same person yeah that sounds really spacey and it doesn't happen like a lot of the times because I did it with uh somebody else who I I won't name them because I don't want them no they probably wouldn't be embarrassed but I don't want to embarrass them and they were just too self-conscious the whole time and they couldn't Mm. really keep up the eye contact and Mm. and then it, it just doesn't doesn't work in the same way well it doesn't work
0: very well it works in a sense but it ties in with that notion we used quite a lot about this radiation that somehow you you uh radiate out your attention to somebody else and absorb them and even if you don't describe it as that there's something about if you're getting into that focus with the eye contact and with the one person that attention it, it it almost feels like it's um the energy is moving from one body to the other or yeah. is that, 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 that's it how it that seems? be
1: yeah. what it was. We were, yeah,
0: it wasn't that we were actually one person
1: because we weren't. By the time we got to that, we were actually quite far apart from one another. Yes. But, yeah, that we were joined by the atoms
0: between us or whatever it <laughs> yeah. was. yeah.
1: It was so, it was
0: it was a really powerful thing. I get inordinately excited about looking at that or observing that, and yet being outside it. You know, I can't observe it from being being within. You know, you're yeah, they're yeah, two yeah, different yeah. states. yet. Yeah. But, but but what you mentioned there about being far apart—that's part of it as well, isn't it? That you actually sometimes I will guide you to being far apart if there's a certain um, atmosphere created. That's really exciting. So that if you're up quite close to somebody, or if you're far apart, you can you can maintain the same intensity. You can still do it. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if if you're both in it. In it. Yeah. And in fact, there's a poignancy far apart that is different to when you're. It's, oh, yeah. and
1: when you have to say goodbye to them, <laughs> that's the worst. But you can kind of feel yourself. You just draw that energy back into yourself. It's almost like an out-of-body experience in yeah. a kind
0: of a way. Like. Yeah. And what is the physicality like for you? I, I don't know if you are aware of a physicality with painting or or there's a physicality with writing, but that's not the focus. Whereas with in theatre, there is much more focus on physically portraying something or developing your physical presence or whatever. Uh, is that important for you, that physicality? In theatre? In theatre, yeah. Do you like it? Do you
1: like it? Are you aware yeah. of it? Are you? Yeah, it's huge, isn't
0: it? Yeah.
1: Um. But you kind of have to get to a place with it where you don't have to think about it.
0: Yeah. When you yes. go on
1: stage for a performance, I mean, it's fine to be thinking about it in rehearsals, um, which is why I think all that walking that we did was so valuable because that's just like a shortcut to being able to to do the physical stuff but without having to process it mentally. Because like, you've got a lot to do when you're on stage, don't you? You've got to like, first of all, you have to remember your lines. But actually, hopefully, you're not even remembering your lines. They're like, they have to be a part of you. So that, because you don't want to be just up there speaking lines. Mm -hmm. What what's the point? You might as well just get out a book and sit in front of the audience and read it to them. You have to, like, know the lines so well that they're, like, a part of you and they're what you would say. And then you have to, like, sometimes be in a certain place that the director has, like, placed you in. But that all has to be, like, completely internalized, doesn't it? So that none of it is acting, per se. I'm putting air quotes on that. Uh, Obviously, (laughs) that won't be in a podcast, but... It all has to just, like, come out of you in a natural way. But it takes a lot of work to get to that. And sometimes you, you never get to it. Yeah. And sometimes you don't get to it on a particular night because, like, somebody was talking right before you had to make your entrance <laughs> about something completely unrelated to theatre. Um But when it comes together, it's like magic,
0: isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that your demand of yourself would be quite high as well. So because by the time you've got to the end of a rehearsal process, particularly with Amadeus, where we were actually working for about ten months, your expectation of being in this in this place of being somebody else, but yet yourself, that kind of dual thing going on is quite high, whereas watching you if you're feeling slightly off on a particular night that it doesn't transmit.
1: Yes. To an audience, yes. I imagine. No, I agree. I, the little mistakes, you notice them, but yeah. I guarantee the audience probably doesn't. Yeah. Unless there's like a very long one minute silence. There's a lot to juggle when you're on yeah. stage, because yeah. like yeah, sometimes you, you have to save the other people that provide
0: saving yourself. Yeah. So the the physicality, I became really interested in this when I was talking to Julia because when she was describing her sewing, it was so physical. And there is something really interesting, actually, if you look at documentaries about art. Most recently, Grayson Perry is not the English artist he had some programs on during the lockdown. The cameras go to this one woman artist whose name I don't remember. But her physicality of the way she worked the the paint on the canvas was just amazing to see. Because everyone, it's like a signature. Everyone's is going to be different. Their flow. So when you're painting, are you conscious of the physical with it? Is there any overlap, for example, with the kind of theatrical physicality?
1: No, I don't really feel like there's much overlap because the physicality of painting is so much smaller than the physicality of theatre. Like the physicality of painting is just the hand. Unless, I I guess, if you were painting something really enormous, you'd have to move from one end to the other... But I'm usually not. In fact, I'm never painting anything very enormous. So for me, it's just about the hand, the eye, the brain. Yeah. Yes. We have to have a brain. <laughs> Keeping control of things. Um, so I wouldn't, to be honest, see much correlation. To me, theatre is a much bigger physicality and physicality is so much more an important part of it. Like for me, painting physicality is just something that you you have to be physical in order to do the thing. You couldn't do it if you were paralyzed. But it's just like a tool, as it were. Like mm. a, mm, tool, not quite right, but... In order to paint, you have to use your hands. Yeah. But in order to be a performer in the theatre, You have to use everything you've got, don't you? Yeah. You have to carry, like, whoa, all the way out there to the back of the whatever it is, auditorium hall, whatever. and Being big might be really, really small, but you have to
0: project really big. For me, acting is a whole body thing. Everything is involved. Peter Brook actually would talk about that, that the entire of the body, every single little bit from your toe to the tip of your finger is part of it. So when I've been acting for camera, the way that has worked most successfully for me is that you radiate to the camera. You're not radiating your entire body to the back of a hall and you're imagining actually that there is somebody there who loves you, who is receptive to what you're doing
1: but it's much, much closer than an audience. Pull it all back, otherwise you come across as histrionic.
0: Histrionic, yeah, absolutely. But I wonder about painting, you know, like a baker uses their hand to make cakes. Our friend Ellen, the chef, would describe it as that the baking is in the hand. Uh, It seems to me that the art is in the hand as well. It's that it's your hand coming through your body and your mind that puts the mark on the paper.
1: All the way from my little toe. Yeah. The hands, the eyes are obviously super important for painting. The head, the head is actually not that important once you've been painting for a while. Probably at first the head's more important. But once you kind of know how to paint, you know how to mix colours, you know what it's going to do if you do this or if you do that, you can actually probably shut your head down. Yeah. Yeah, or you're not using the sort of which side of your brain would that be? The left side of your brain, the, yeah. the kind of thinking, analytical side of your brain. Yeah, can kind of take a little,
0: a little rest. Yeah. Sometimes I think of the, the work that I'm doing, and the focus on collectivity, collaboration and all of that is about getting past what I think is the front lobe, where, which is the ego and the part that blocks you. And, and it seems to me, is that the same with the art that once you get into it? That you're you're past that judgment and that you're just in a flow of it. Does it work like that for you? Yeah, well, when
1: things are going well. Going I've kind of gotten to the stage where I can usually, yeah, leave that judging part out of it. Maybe usually when I'm starting something, that's when the judging part will go, oh, you're just, you're never going to be able to do this. This is going to work out really badly. So then I tell it, no, no, you said that to me the last time and it worked out okay, so I'm not going to listen to you. And then the judging part goes, no, no, but this is way more difficult. I don't think you're going to be able to do this. And then I have to tell it, well, I'm just going to have a try anyway, so you just go away for a little bit. <laughs> not quite so literally, I'm yeah. kind of making a little joke of it. But that's kind of what goes on, Yeah, like that, that blank page fear thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I utterly identify with that. Like even with a piece of writing halfway through, I'm thinking, "Oh, what is this? It's, it's just not working," or "I'm not going to be able to finish it." It's just that amazing yeah, so that you voice. You just
1: have to press on.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Sometimes you just have to treat it like a nine to five, yeah. where but but you're the boss of yourself, so you know. <laughs> but yeah. But you just have to get in there and get on with it yeah. and trust that yeah. it's going to be okay. Or if it isn't. Look, that's okay too.
0: Yeah. Do you think that your going back to painting recently has anything to do with COVID?
1: No, because I went back. I thought about that. Yeah. I went back to painting before COVID. But in January, I went into Cahill, Donovan yeah. and bought some new watercolors because all my old ones were dried up. Which is lucky. I did, and some paper because they, once March came, they shut down. Yes. Um, and so. So I was already painting, but I do think that having that lockdown definitely enabled me to get a lot more work done. Why was that now that I felt like I had more time available to me? Oh, I couldn't go to the swimming pool, that was one thing. Couldn't go anywhere except to the shop. Couldn't go to Galway. So there was a lot I couldn't.
0: I, I was thinking about writing through COVID because the Abbey commissioned writers to write and... When I was kind of strolling around at the time thinking, "What would I write now if I was commissioned to write something i was i I just couldn't I couldn't uh, sit on anything. I just thought actually, it's a time for music. it's a time for almost poetry. You know, there are moments when in life when you're touching on an atmosphere or a uh, a period that needs something more than uh, more than normal. Uh, I, I, I almost don't have the words to define it And that's where music fills that place For me anyway I'm sorry, what was your question? So the question was Has, has COVID had an effect on your work, do you think? You know what? I feel like I'm still too close to COVID To answer that question
1: yeah. I, I kind of feel like that's a question that I might be able to answer in five years time If I'm yeah. spared from COVID Yeah Because <laughs> yeah. when you're living through a thing quite hard to see it isn't it?
0: Yeah.
1: I find especially with something so big as this because even now looking back at like news footage from March or April you know all those coffins being brought out in the nighttime by trucks and stored in a ice rink and like all that imagery and then all the protests in America and it seems like Not like that it didn't happen, but almost like that it couldn't have happened. Those things couldn't have happened as recently as like, you know, three or four months ago. It's been such a kind of weird, extraordinary time. But then also to live in a place where from day to day, the effect on one's own life is actually quite minimal. Yeah. In terms of disruption or... Personally, knowing anyone who has been ill or died, like nobody in my family has had COVID that I know of, or certainly nobody's been hospitalised. Yeah. Although obviously people have been affected in many other yeah. ways than just their health, like yeah. the yeah. whole economic fallout is is massive. massive.
0: Yeah, yeah. It does feel like yeah. we're at a remove here and have the most incredible place to be if you need to be locked down you know the
1: yes so like so many people have said to me that lockdown was actually a kind of magical time for them which seems like something you should say in a whisper because you know what I mean like the flip side of it it was the most horrible thing ever for some people like imagine if you're if your mother was dying of COVID in hospital and you weren't allowed to go in mm. and be with her, yeah. oh my God! Or your husband, yeah. or your, or your child, your child right, yeah. because it doesn't easily affect children so badly. But yeah. do you know what I mean? Like so that 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 real horror yeah. versus oh, I actually secretly enjoyed lockdown yeah. because yeah. it was so peaceful, peaceful and. and... So affirming to me that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's this. I don't know if you've seen this little cartoon figure, there's a little character, and he's walking along, and um, he goes, Hmm, this is when you realize that uh, my life is locked down, or something like that. that <laughs> yeah. quarantine. Is, when you realize that quarantine is your life. I see. But <laughs> now it's legitimized, yes. and you're supposed to be doing it. Yeah, everyone's doing it. Yeah, and yeah, also there's yeah. no like no FOMO whatsoever. Yeah, like nobody's doing anything. Nobody's doing so. anything. Yeah.
0: What is it you're working apart from the watercolors that you have exhibited in in Nikki's cafe at the moment in Skull? Uh, what other work are, is inspiring you at the moment?
1: Um, I'm still working on that series, but I think I might get back and do some oil painting, and also I was thinking I might
0: go back to writing again. Yeah, what's the difference between oil painting and watercolours for you? Is it a mood or something, or what is it?
1: Uh, Well, they're just completely different (laughs) 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 mediums. They're so different. The materials are different, the surfaces are different, the effects are
0: different. I know to like
1: someone who wasn't a painter would be like, but they're
0: both paintings, so not they? Yeah. Is there something that it's appealing to, or is it filling need or a or a desire? It's- oh, like a desire for change. Okay, you've come to
1: the end of this now. Yeah. Um, it's time to freshen up, it up and do yeah. something different. Okay. I get bored of doing the same thing. I think.
0: So- Alan. As we're kind of drawing that's to a close with this this uh, interview, I would just like to ask you, do you have a favourite chair that you might like to tell me about, given that this podcast is called Take the Chair?
1: Uh, yes, I do. I have a chair that I would like to tell you about. <laughs> it's, a ch- it's a wooden chair. It's kind, of, it, it's kind of got like a top that's sort of uh, twirly, arabesky, Um, and arms that are kind of also curvy. I like curvy things. But really why I like this chair is because my mother painted like a big flower. (laughs) It's red and she painted a big yellow and blue flower on the front of, on the back upright part and also around the back of the front upright part got it. I'm just really bad at describing <laughs> things that are three-dimensional. Uh, my mother painted flowers on this red chair, let's just say that. Um, and so I just really like it because it's a connection to her. And my grandchildren love it because the chair, I guess, it must be shaped a bit like a throne to them anyway because they mm. call it the king's chair. And they're both small enough to like sit up in it together at the same time. So i have come upstairs and they go, we want to sit in the king's chair. So the two of them sit up in the king's chair and they're so happy in the king's chair. And it just gives you a little bit of memory of like the magic of childhood and how yeah. like a box could be like anything you wanted it to be yeah. and a chair could be like, you know, the king's chair. So that I made the little crowns and they were just so happy sitting in the King's chair yeah. and it's just lovely to think that this chair that my mother painted is now something magic for like her great-grandchildren yeah. that obviously she never met but you know yeah and, that, and things that's, through. So that's my favorite chair the King's yeah. chair
0: and have you had it all your life have it has it been have you placed it uh is it, yeah, where since is since
1: it? I remember yeah uh so, you know, I don't actually know where the chair came from. Like it's something that somebody, a person made it, I would say. It's not yeah. a factory kind of produced chair. Okay. Uh, nice. But who made it? I have no yeah. idea. Like my father might have, This I could imagine this. I could imagine my father saying to the carpenters building the house, I want you to build me a chair. It's going to be designed like this, with a curvy top, and it's got to have rounded the arms and this and that. And they would say, "Oh, uh, okay, Did you do that?" <laughs> <laughs> because, like my dad, there was this. There was a stonemason who worked on the standing stone, and my father said to him, "I want you to build me a bell tower." And he said, "What? What's that?" So my father, like he, my father had bought an old chip's bell. Like, okay. It's a good size, it was probably as big as a, probably bigger than a person's head, um, and he wanted a bell tower to hang it in, and so he, may, he probably drew a little picture or he described to the stonemason what he wanted him to build, and he built it, and it's actually got his signature, like in the plaster of it, oh, Alfie yeah. German, in the year 1971, and Alfie came to my father and he said, do you know Mr. Fendt, I was dreaming about that bell tower last night. I'm, yeah. I'm really excited about building that bell tower. and I can kind of see that maybe that chair, but I completely made that story up. I have no idea where the chair actually came from.
0: Yeah, that's kind of interesting, isn't
1: it? Because it's about creativity.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just how it kind of how sometimes objects just um just create that sense of excitement or or enchantment or something, isn't it, which is really lovely. Yeah. Also, I think a chair, a chair kind of is a
1: person, isn't it? Or a chair is a place where a person could be, and so that, therefore, if the chair is empty, it like is the person or it's waiting for the person. Yes. Yeah. To me, a chair and a person are quite closely related. Yeah. And what is a chair to do? Like, what is its function? And it, its function is to hold is to hold you up, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, one of its functions. One of its functions, yeah. So Alan, I just want to say thank you so much for being one of my early guests in this theatre podcast. Thank you very much for having me on your
1: podcast, Karen. It was I really enjoyed it. Thanks a million, thank Alan. Thank you. It's been really lovely.
0: Thanks a million for joining us in our chat today. I hope you enjoyed this second podcast in the series, Take a Chair, Talking Theatre and Creativity. Next week, I publish blog three and the podcast three will follow the week after.